Welcome to the Monroe Church of Christ podcast. I'm Derek Glover, preacher of the Monroe Church of Christ in Monroe, Wisconsin, and I want to thank you for joining us. I hope that you'll subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment or a review on iTunes, and share it with a friend, family member, co-worker, or someone that you think would be interested to know more about our Savior, Jesus Christ. Good morning. It's good to see a larger crowd in here. Uh, when Benjamin and Christine bring their crew, it typically is. But uh, we do have uh, several others visiting, and we're just glad to see so many people here. Um, I have now had, in the last two months, um, three or four separate conversations with people uh, from other congregations and other states who've called and just needed to talk because it's been such uh, a challenge uh, to figure out how we proceed and how we come back to church. And a lot of congregations, particularly larger ones, are just now having that discussion because it's so challenging. Um, and just dealing with this idea of balancing um, people's comfort and safety and health and, and, and then this need we have. And the one thing that has been uh, repeated is there's just no substitute for being together. And I'm thankful that we've had, we have so many options. We still have so many who join us online every week and will continue to. Um, there's just, you know, you can work from home, you can do school from home, but after a while, church from home isn't the same. And so uh, I'm glad that we're able to be together. And I hope we can continue to be and continue to be mindful of those who are unable to be with us for a variety of reasons. But we're glad they can join us one way uh, or another. I'm wearing glasses now, which I, I took about three years off of wearing glasses, and I'm reminded that I run a little hot in terms of body temperature, and when it's a little bit humid like this, and if I get up here and get worked up, these are going to fog up. So if you, if you aren't able to see my eyes at a certain point, it's not demon possession. I'm just really into the sermon. So uh, stay calm. Here in, in a few days, uh, we are going to celebrate the, what is it, the 244th birthday of our country, I think. Uh, we're going to be celebrating our Independence Day, as we do every year. Um, this country is a bit of an experiment in the history of the world, in terms of what we've tried to accomplish and how we were founded. Uh, you know, our previous rulers... Uh, were monarchs, kings, queens, and, uh, and they made decisions as an elite ruling class, as royalty. And they decided to raise a three-cent tax on our favorite beverage without talking to us first, so we shot them, and that seems reasonable enough. Now, we decided at that point we were going to do things differently. We were going to establish a government that did so by the consent of the people it governed, that we weren't going to place undue burdens on our citizens. And that's a wonderful thing to celebrate. And it's been an interesting experiment for over two centuries. But later today, if you go to the store, grab the receipt, take a look at how much tax you're paying now on your favorite beverage. Sometimes we don't always live up to the things that we expect to live up to. Or call your congressman later. You know, we don't have royalty anymore. Call your congressman or senator and ask them about their health insurance, because I bet it's better than yours. Ask them how much they paid into Medicare and Social Security last year, because they don't have to. They live by different rules. An elite ruling class. 
We have royalty in this country. We have uh, sometimes burdensome policies in this country. Even though we expected to do differently, we've fallen into some of those same traps. Oftentimes we're disappointed by the expectations we have in leaders, in people that we hold in high esteem who promise things and then don't deliver. Uh, when people run for office, they tell us all the time they're going to go up there to Capitol Hill and they're going to clean things up and they're not going to listen to the lobbyists and they're going to work for the people and they get up there and they figure out how it works pretty quick. And not everybody's Jimmy Stewart, so they fall right into that same pattern. We see this uh, uh, in, uh, in college football a lot. When a new coach is named, and there's some excitement because we've seen what they've done elsewhere, and we expect them to be able to do it uh, where, where we uh, place our loyalties. Being from Arkansas, you know, we had a really good football program about 10 years ago. We were top 10, top 5 team in the nation until 2012 when our wonderful coach, Bobby Petrino, wrecked his motorcycle and his mistress fell out, and then he had to leave. And we were worried about that, nervous about where our program was going to go, but we had high expectations a year later when they brought a young man down from the University of Wisconsin named Brett Bielema. Four straight conference championships, and he was ready to bring his talents to the SEC, and we had high expectations. Five years later, that program was maybe one of the worst in the country. We wasn't ready for it. The things that we are promised and the things that we expect and the things we anticipate when there is a change sometimes don't follow through. Well, there were, there were a lot of expectations when Jesus showed up. And his sort of uh, entrance into the public uh, sphere is found in the Sermon on the Mount, which we've been studying for the last couple of weeks in Matthew chapter 5. And there were a lot of expectations around Jesus as to what he was coming to do. There were zealots and there were people who were convinced that Jesus was coming to restore military power and the glory of Jerusalem to be freed from the rule of Rome. There were expectations by uh, scribes and teachers and the rabbinical uh, community in Jerusalem that he was coming to codify their righteousness and their keeping of the law. And he was coming to point to them as uh, the leaders of the people that ought to be honored. And there were others who expected other things. And it looked like Jesus was bringing a different message. The first couple of, of passages that we covered in the Sermon on the Mount seemed to be very different from what the prevailing teaching of the time was. He starts with the Beatitudes. He invites the average person to achieve righteousness. He opens the door and makes the common person a part of the story. The poor and the meek and the, and the underserved and the grieving. He makes them a part of the story. And then last week we talked about how he called us to be salt and light. He called us not to be driven by works to follow the law, but by a faith that produced good works that met the qualifications of the law. So it seems like Jesus is on his way to transforming our relationship with God. And there were a lot of expectations surrounding that as the outcasts were brought in and people were reminded that they ought to do more out of faith so that God could be seen in their life. And then we have this odd passage that comes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. He, he kind of steps back and gives this disclaimer. 
Do not think that I came to abolish the law or prophets. I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now wait a minute. That doesn't make much sense given what we just read. What Jesus is doing here is adjusting expectations. If you heard those first couple of passages spoken in the first couple of minutes of this sermon, you would think, wow, we are in for something different. And then Jesus says, I'm not here to destroy what you know to be true. I'm not here to undo what you have lived by. He's reminding them and adjusting their expectation to understand that this is not a rebellion. This is not a revolution. Revolutions and rebellions are about replacing institutions, tearing down structures that have been and replacing them with something new. And Jesus is saying that's not how this is going to operate. He's not coming to abolish He's coming to fulfill. I'm reminded of Martin Luther King Jr. In, in his I Have a Dream speech that is so famous. There's a line in there about the dream that this nation would finally live out the true meaning of its creed. Martin Luther King Jr. wasn't talking about transforming and creating a new society. He was talking about fulfilling the things that the society had already agreed that they wanted to fulfill but had not yet. Jesus is not talking about a revolution. He's not talking about a rebellion. He's talking about a transforming through fulfilling what is and what has been the call of the old law. He's reminding them that it's not a, a political or spiritual revolution, that there is a mechanism in place here in this old law that has not yet fully been leveraged to fulfill its purpose. And that's what he's going to show them. And he points out two very important things in this passage. Let's continue reading from where we left off. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The law says what the law says, according to Christ. And it matters. And what he is saying is not to destroy or diminish it, but it is to re-emphasize it in a way they had not yet understood. That is his message. So the two things Jesus reminds them of, first of all, we see in that last verse, he says, until all is accomplished. Until all is accomplished, this is how things are going to be. He reminds them that this is still an ongoing work. This is not yet finished. There is still more to come. Turn, if you will to the book of Hebrews. And I've been going to Hebrews a lot lately because it does tie in so well with the message of the Sermon on the Mount. We see it popping up again and again, very similar ideas. Turn to Hebrews chapter 8. We'll begin reading here in verse 1. Now the main point in what has been said is this, we have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched, not man, for every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it's necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer gifts according to the law who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle, 
For see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. But now he, that's Christ, has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. Skip down to verse 13. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to disappear. There will come a time, the Bible tells us, when we move on. When we move on from the law into something new. But not by abolition. And not yet, Jesus says. He is going to fulfill the law, thus completing the law, thus making it obsolete, as the writer of Hebrews tells us. And until all is accomplished, as Christ says in verse 18 of chapter 5, then this law still stands, and we must remain faithful to it. If you go back to the book of Hebrews and go to chapter 10, you'll see this idea there as well, beginning in verse 1. For the law since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins." Jesus is reminding them that the law is just a representation. It's a stand-in. It's a shadow, the writer of Hebrews tells us. And it had a purpose. And the purpose was to sustain the people. It was to keep them with God until it could be fulfilled. The basic framework of what the law was, was asking of people is still in place in the time of Christ. And in fact, is still in place today. It manifests itself differently because of Jesus Christ. It's important to remember that um, the people didn't always have the law. The people we're reading about in the New Testament, uh, the Israelites, the Jewish people, they didn't always have the law. Uh, in fact, in the, in the, in the three or 400 years leading up to Christ, there were periods of time where they had forgotten the law. There were periods of time where the law was lost. It took people like Ezra and Nehemiah to help teach them and restore the law. And so you had generational gaps in their understanding of God's law. Their understanding that it was meant to be something that hold, held a place until Christ arrived. And so that's why you find such a corrupt religious system when you reach the time of Christ. They had generational gaps that didn't understand the relationship with God. And so it's easy to see how they would get some things wrong from time to time. And they did. And Jesus is reminding them of these things when he says that he did not come to abolish but to fulfill. He's reminding them that uh, there is still work to be done. It is still ongoing. And he's reminding them that the true righteousness comes in actually fulfilling the law in a more perfect way. They had some things messed up about the law, but Jesus was coming to put it right. He was coming to set things right and get them back on the path of true righteousness and show the true power of the law. He was coming to fulfill. He was coming to complete a work. He was coming to forge a new path by giving true meaning to the old path. Perhaps the most perplexing verse in this passage is verse 20. 
It's the one I struggle with. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, uh, I've read the Bible some, grew up in church. I know what happens after this. I know the groups of people that plot to kill Jesus. I know who has problems with Jesus in the rest of this story. And it's the people he is, seems to be holding up in this passage and saying, hey, unless you're better than these people, you're not getting to heaven. You don't have a relationship with God. You've got to be better than the scribes and the Pharisees. You, now, I'm not just, it's not that I'm not coming to abolish the law. I'm coming to fulfill the law, and you better keep it, and you better shoot for this. Now, wait a minute. I thought the Pharisees were the bad guys. This verse always bothered me. Why is, he, why is he seeming to call people to shoot for this uh, kind of standard? Well, it's important to remember the context of this passage. And it might have thrown you off if you had heard it in real time. Heard all the things he said because he seems to be pointing to faith driving action rather than the rote recitation of ritual. And yet, he says, you must be more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees. But what's coming after this passage is he begins to go through some of the high points of the law and point out why keeping the bare minimum of the letter is not sufficient. He's going to talk about murder and oppose that to anger. He's going to talk about adultery and oppose that to lust. He's going to talk about making... uh, uh, promises and swearing by things and covenants and he's going to make that as simple as say what you mean and mean what you say he is bringing out the heart and the spirit of the law that god had given the people that they had forgotten because they became laser focused on the words and not on the heart and so as he begins to go into that part of this sermon on the mount he's reminding them Not that the Pharisees and the scribes are the standard, but that the life they live represents barely the minimum of what is acceptable to God. He is not holding them up as something to shoot for. He is showing the people that's something you must surpass. You must exceed. And it's not a raising of the bar. He's not raising the standard. He's not lowering the standard. In fact, what he's doing is raising us to meet the standard that God has always had for his people, his creation, his children. This is an invitation to be righteous, just as he opened this sermon with. This is an invitation to step into the story and be with him and be made righteous. It's an invitation that the people who heard this never understood. It's an urging to let faith drive action. And now, the reminder that righteousness is not defined by an elite few and their keeping of the law. Jesus is getting ready to show them in the following verses the better way to live. The better way to keep the law, and yes, a better way to be righteous. True righteousness. Jesus' message in the Sermon on the Mount might be one of the most transformative in the world. It might have made a bigger impact on this world than anything else that's ever been spoken. Because it took 
the one thing that God's people had, their law, their prophets, the one thing they had to connect them to God. And he says, I'm not throwing that out. I'm going to show you why it matters. And I'm going to show you how to follow it better. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next few weeks. As Jesus begins to go through those finer points of the law and point out how righteousness can be made more perfect, how righteousness can achieve beyond what anything we've ever understood, how righteousness can allow the average person to surpass the religious and spiritual elite, how righteousness, true righteousness through Christ can bring you closer to God than you ever thought possible. The time to truly fulfill the perfection that God demands has come. And Jesus is about to show them what that means when it comes to how they live. And it's important to understand that, that Jesus is not a rebel and a revolutionary. He is the embodiment of what that law sought to achieve. And he is opening the eyes of those listening and of us reading it to understand that we were missing the point before. That when you lay Jesus over the top of that law, you see the full picture. You see exactly what God has in store for us. And that's a beautiful story. That's a beautiful thing to understand. That from the beginning of time, from the beginning of the world, he's had you in mind. He's had your name on his heart. And he said, I've got to find a way that these people can be with me. I've got to find a way to bring them close to me. And for a time, that was through priests and sacrifices and strange customs like not traveling further than so far from your house on a certain day. And we can get caught up in those things. We can get caught up in the doing, in, in, in the, the meritocracy of our spiritual life. We can get caught up in the moralism, thinking that if we do good, we get good. Or we can step back and see Jesus interposed in that story after generation after generation after generation of failure at meeting the qualifications of that law to bring them closer god said now you're ready now the time has come now is the time to fulfill this law to fill in the gaps to correct the mistakes the shortcomings that you the keepers of the law have here is my son to meet the qualification on your behalf. There are things in this life that we are simply not capable of doing good enough for God. And that's why Jesus came. And that's why he's going to explain to us in the coming passages why the law is about more than what we do. It is about how we think, how we live, and how our hearts are tuned to be synchronized with God. And Jesus gives us that union. Today, if you're like me, and goodness, I hope you're not, but if you're like me, sometimes your spiritual walk can become about a checklist. This is especially tough, by the way, for, for preachers. Because Sunday morning, 
even on the best Sunday morning when you are just so filled with the Spirit and you're happy to be here and you're happy to see your brothers and sisters in Christ and you're so uplifted and you're having that great moment. That happens every now and then, usually not during the sermon, but it does happen from time to time. When you're feeling that way, look, even on, on the best day, sometimes it's still a day at the office for me. I, I have to fight that mentality. I have to fight that thought process and step back and engage in what God is asking me to engage in. And that's a fellowship, a community. Maybe you struggle in the same way. Maybe you struggle with the idea of doing church, doing Christianity instead of living God through Christ. The answer to that is found in the Sermon on the Mount. The answer to that is found in truly understanding the heart of Jesus and what he tells us about God's law. When we read the law through Christ, we see differently. When we read Christ through the law, we miss the point. But when we read the law through Christ, we are beginning to fulfill what God had in mind. A community, a nation of believers, of faith, of love. And this morning, if you're struggling on that journey, then you have my absolute understanding and sympathy. But you also have my prayers, and you have all of our prayers. And if you need to make that struggle known publicly, if you need to tell someone, if you need help, we're here to do that. That's what family does. If you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, I also like to make this opportunity known. It's an opportunity to open anytime, but especially right now as we're gathered together, if you so choose to commit yourself to Jesus in the waters of baptism, then we offer that opportunity to you now. If you need to know him, Know him better or know him for the first time. I urge you to come now as we stand and while we sing together. Thank you for joining us for the Monroe Church of Christ podcast. We hope that you have found today's message to be uplifting, inspirational, and encouraging. Most of all, we hope that it helps you along your spiritual journey. If you have any questions or comments or would like to drop us a line, you can do so at monroewicoc at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. We look forward to you joining us next week.